on with our series, New Normal, and I have a new um, graphic for you. Uh, Jennifer Coberly sent me that, and I was like, that is perfect. And um, probably if you're under the age of like 20, you're like, I have no idea who that guy is. Um, It might be even older. I know just because I've seen Cheers a couple times. But anyways, uh, so we are finishing up our series on the new norm or the new normal. And I want you guys to kind of just, we're going to just use our imagination real quick. Maybe you don't have to go far for this to happen. But imagine you're going out to lunch or to dinner with some of your closest friends. And it's like, man, I have been looking forward to being able to hang out with them. COVID-19 kept us apart. We're going to be able to meet together again, have dinner. It's going to be a wonderful time. And then you realize that one of those people that is at the table coming to eat with you has just said some horrible things about you to all your other friends, has just been talking bad about you behind your back. They're like, man, he is whatever. He's a horrible guy. Man, he is such a slob. He eats with his mouth open. He talks with food in his mouth all the way to he's actually a bad guy. Like, I can't believe we're going to eat with this guy, but I like everybody else. I don't like him, so let's go. Whatever the scenario is, just imagine that there is somebody that has just, like, stabbed you in the back. I mean, like really dug that knife in there. And so here you are, you're eating dinner with everybody. And there's that one person at the table who you're like, "Mm, that guy or girl, they said this about me. They did this to me. I can't believe they're here with me. I mean, what would your natural reaction be in that situation? I mean, it would honestly, it would put kind of a, a weird damp, damper, dampen, whatever the saying is, on damper, yeah, damper, on the mood. I mean, it would be like, man, this is, uh, I'm not going to be able to really, uh, I'm not talking to that person because if I say something, I'm going to regret it and I'd rather not. So I'm just going to focus on the left side of the table and not even look over in their direction. Pass the rolls? No, I'll smack you in the face with one. I don't care. I don't like you right now. I mean, just imagine what your situation would be in that, how you would respond in that situation. What would you do? Because honestly, society, let's look at society. Society would tell us, hey, if they wronged you, wrong them back. You know, get even. Try and settle the score. They said something bad about you. Say something worse about them. They talked about you behind your back. Boy, let's just start smearing them like crazy. Let's, all right, let's not even invite them to dinner. Let's, all right, you other guys, we're all going to go like, go putt-putt after this. Let's not even invite him, but let's tell him we're going without him because we hate his guts. That's what society would do. I mean, it's kind of juvenile, but that's what society is kind of telling us to do in this situation. It's just like if somebody wrongs you, one-up it. Settle the score. And then you have this constant back and forth and back and forth. But we know that's even what was going on in Jesus's time. Because in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking to the people that are gathered there. And he tells them, you have heard that it was said, this is Matthew chapter 5 verse 38. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Somebody slaps you on the right face. They take out your eye. You get to take out their eye. They take out your tooth. You get a return tit for tat. Whatever they do, you get to do the exact same thing to you or to them. But Jesus says, I say to you. 
Do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. And it's like, boy, if I could ever say, Jesus, I really don't want to do anything that your word says, that might be the area. It's like, boy, I want revenge. I want retaliation. I want to one up them. But instead it's like, no, God, I'm giving my heart over to you. And Jesus says, but I say to you, turn the other cheek. And then he doesn't just say, turn the other cheek. He says, actually, if they ask for your tunic, give them your cloak as well. So when they, or when they give you evil, return good to it. He continues on in verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and it is okay to hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And so Jesus is saying, hey, it is easy to love people who love you. It's like, boy, if you give me $10, man, we're buds. But if you steal $100 from me, we're not going to hang out anymore. I'm going to remember that. I'm going to hold it against you. I'm going to keep that. And Jesus is saying, hey, don't just love the ones who do good things for you. Love even your enemies. And we see Jesus, he not only says this, but he backs it up. It's one thing to walk around and saying this, and actually Jesus has a very strong word for those people who say one thing and do another. He calls them hypocrites. But Jesus was never a hypocrite because Jesus backed the very words that he said. And so our passage for today is John chapter 13, and we're going to start in verse 2, and we're going to read through 17. And it's a long passage. If you are able, feel free to stand as we read this, and then we'll open up in prayer. In John chapter 13, verse 2. It says, during supper, this is the institution of the Lord's Supper, the Passover meal, the last meal that Jesus is going to have with his disciples before he dies. And he says, during supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. So Simon said to him, Lord, not just my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? 
You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Father God, we thank you just so much again that we are able to come into uh, your presence as a body of believers. And so, God, I just pray that as we've come to hear your word proclaimed, God, may it not just be something that we hear and call good, but God, may we allow our lives to be transformed by it. God, show us something new about you. Just continue to uh, improve us, not so that we can better our name, but God, so that you can receive the glory in everything. May we just totally submit to you in all things. And so as we've read your word and we continue to look into it, God, may we submit to what your word has to say. And I just pray that you speak through me your message. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray this. Amen. Thank you. So let's, you know, we had our little situation that we talked about at the beginning. Now let's kind of look at what Jesus is doing here. He's in this room, he's eating with his disciples, supper's over, and then he, he kind of takes off his outer garment, and he starts to go one by one. And remember, the washing of feet is a disgusting thing. They didn't have cement back then where they had paved roads and all that glory. They had dirt roads, and they wore sandals, and it, it wasn't chacos, but they wore sandals, and they walked around just dirty, nasty feet. Just picture that. Nasty feet. And now you have Jesus removing his outer garment, bending over at the the stinky, nasty, filthy feet, and he starts washing them, cleansing them. And everybody's there like, what is going on here? Jesus, we have servants for that. We have lower people. You are our master. You should not be doing this, Jesus. What is going on? You would be in shock of it. It would be like something's not right here. Of all the people that are supposed to be cleaning feet, it's not you. You're not supposed to. Jesus, I'm not even supposed to because I'm not a servant. I shouldn't even be washing other people's feet, let alone you washing other people's feet. That would be kind of what your knee-jerk reaction would be. Peter even seems to see this and he responds to it. And he's like, why are you washing my feet, Jesus? This is not a role that you should have. But Jesus continues to wash their feet. And notice who Jesus washes the feet of. He goes through each and every one of them. Notice how it started out in verse 2. It said, During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray him. Jesus went through each and every single person coming to Judas. And it's not like, I, I feel like John put that in there because it's like Jesus knew what's going on here. Because it's like, hey, I'll, I'll help you out. And then I find out that you betrayed me. And it's like, all right, we're done. Let's, let's go. Let's get out of here. And Jesus is like, I knew he betrayed me. I knew he was actually not one of us, but I still am washing his feet. Because Jesus said, if you only love those who love you, are you any better than Gentiles or tax collectors? And so he shows, hey, I'm going to serve. I'm going to love even my enemy. Because again, we're told in John 13, verse 11, it says he knew who it was who was going to betray him. That, and that was why he said, not all of you are clean. And so Jesus 
displays that he is willing to do every single thing that he says he is going to do. He lived what he said. He set that example for us and he preached humility throughout all of his life. He continued, he, he was God and he continued to lower himself. Matthew chapter 19 verse 30 tells us many who are first will be last and the last shall be first. And then he says in 2311, the greatest among you shall be your servants. Paul in Philippians tells us this is the attitude that we are supposed to have. He says in Philippians 2, 6 through 7, he says, who, talking about Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But instead, he emptied himself. He took on the form of a servant. He was born in the likeness of men. So think, think about this. Jesus, from the very creation of the world and infinity before, all the way up to his birth, he was the glory of God. I mean, he, he, had, he was ruler, he was king, he was everything. And then he says, I'm going to humble myself by stepping down and I'm going to become like my creation. I'm going to become what I created. And it's not like he's like, I'm going to come in the glory and the splendor of a king. And I'm going to come and be like the, the handsomest and the most shredded and the most talented. I'm going to come. And we're told in Isaiah that nobody would have recognized him. There was nothing real appealing about him. He came in the most humble form. He didn't have a royal birth. He had a humble birth where animals eat. I mean, Jesus totally like personifies and exemplifies humility. He lived what he spoke. He lowered himself to the very thing that he created. But pride gets in our way. So Jesus is able to be humble, but honestly, humans have a tough time with humility. Pride wants to kick in. Because pride wants to tell us, wait a minute, are we, am, am I really that bad? Because we've talked about it before, we want to play that comparison game. We want to be like, well, I'm not as, I'm not as bad as them. I'm not a bad, as bad as those people over there doing that thing. I'm not as bad, I mean, constantly we are like just looking at other people and like, whew, thank goodness I'm not like that. I mean, yeah, we're looking at other people and like, man, I wish I could be like that. But pride is still in our way. And so pride looks at us and is like, wait a minute, but are, are we really that bad? Am I so bad, Jesus, that I should really have to wash other people's feet? I mean, that's, that's the job of a servant. Should I really bend over and pick up that trash? Should I really go and help this person out? I mean, they're totally capable of washing their own feet. Are you really asking me to go help them out in this situation? Because our pride gets in the way. And it, it makes us want to question, are we that bad? And the, the resounding exclamation point answer is yes. If you're ever wondering, am I that bad of a person? Yes. The answer is yes. Always yes. Because our model is not Hitler. Our model is not even Mother Teresa. Our model is Jesus. And we will never measure up to that. Romans 3, 10 through 12 tells us none is righteous. It's not like, well, hey, that's Old Testament stuff. And I'm 2,000 years later, I perfected myself. No, none is righteous. No, not one. And then it says, no one seeks God. 
All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. That statement is still true today as it was when it was written thousands of years ago. And so again, whenever we let pride sneak in and it's like, wait a minute, I'm actually, they should serve me. I'm deserving of this. I can't believe this waiter is doing a horrible job. They're supposed to be serving me. And so I'm just going to jip him and walk out without even tipping them at all or whatever you want to put in that scenario. I'm deserving of something better. Remember, the only thing we deserve is the same thing every single person on earth deserves, and that's death. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Who's lived a perfect life? Who's never committed a sin? There's only one, Jesus. Every single other person deserves death. We all deserve death. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And so if you want to talk about what we deserve, you know the very justifiable thing that Christ could have done is wiping all of us off the earth. Because when I think, well, maybe I've done good, boy, I am so glad that there is not a list of all the bad things that I've done. Like, I try and keep a record of the good things, and it's like, hey, Jesus, you know, let's look at this. Like, hey, you know, I did this, I did this, I did this. Like, remember everything I did. And it's like, do we want to look at the negative list? No. We don't have enough time to talk about that. It's like, man, that list just grows exponentially all the time. And so the justifiable thing that Jesus could have done is wiped every single person off the earth. Said, you know what? Forget it. They are worthless. They are miserable. They are horrible. Let's start over. Let's make robots. They're not going to, you know, hurt us or turn their backs on us or anything. But instead, Jesus said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to come down and I'm going to live among them in their stench, in their filth, in everything that they are. I'm going to become one of them because I love them. And he said, I'm not going to come and lead them in the sense of I am a ruler, bow before me, but instead I'm going to come and I'm going to actually serve them. He tells us that he came to serve And honestly, I would have wiped everybody out. I mean, sorry, I'd save a lot of people. Like, I do like people. But it's like, man, if I were God, wiping people out seems like the way less painful thing to do. But instead, we see in 2 Peter 3, 9, that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but instead he is patient to you, not wishing that any would perish, but that all would reach repentance. And so the next time that uh, we see somebody doing something that we're like, I can't believe that would happen, can we just wipe them off the face of the earth? Instead, we should be like, God, draw them to repentance. God, bring them to you. Use me, maybe to go over there and share the gospel with them. Again, it's so much easier to talk negative about somebody behind their back than it is to go to them and be like, hey, what you're doing is wrong. It doesn't bring glory to God. Oh, you don't know about God? Let me tell you about this God who loves you so much that he sent his only begotten son that if you just believe in him and repent of your life, he wants to give you eternal life. Yeah, you're not deserving of it. Neither am I. It's the free gift of God is grace. That's the rest of 623. The gift of God is eternal life. 
But instead of wiping us out, that's what we were given. First Peter 2, 21 through 24, it says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered, leaving for you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and be raised to life in righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And so not only did Jesus come to save us, but Jesus also came to give us an example He said, hey, not only am I coming for eternal life, yes, I'm coming for eternal life, but let me show you how to live. Let me show you how to live for the glory of God. Let me show you what that looks like. And so we are to be obedient because of everything that Christ has done. When he gave his life for us, when he came and humbled himself, he showed us how we live in obedience to God. 1 Peter 2.21, we just read it. Because Christ also suffered, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Matthew 20.28, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. John 13, in our passage, passage today, starting in verse 14, if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. And so right there, Jesus tells us that we are to wash one another's feet. That we are to serve one another. That we are to have a heart of serving. That we see a need, we meet a need. That we see a way to help somebody out, we go to them. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 4.10, He says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And so God's given us all abilities and ways to help out and ways to serve one another. And God's like, I didn't give you those for your own glory. I gave you those so that you can serve other people. And so when you came to church today, when, you, when you, you are the church, when you came to this gathering, did you come thinking, how is this going to satisfy me? How can I hear a good message? How can I maybe avoid as many people as possible and get out of here without talking to anybody and hear a message and leave? Did you come so that you could attend a church or did you come so that you could be the church? Did you come so that you could find out how you could help serve somebody else? Or did you come so that you could be served? Did you come with an intrinsic, a consumeristic, it's about me and my wants? Or did you come so that you could be like, God, I am an extension of you. I'm called to be your hands and your feet. I'm called to be a member of the body. And so how can I serve somebody else? But it doesn't just stop when you come here and leave. It's not like, well, I served that morning, check mark for the week. No, we continue to serve one another. Christians, I believe, should be the most joyful servers in the world. It's like, praise God, I get to serve somebody else. Praise God, I get to go and help somebody. You need help? I'm happy to help you. Yes, let's go. Because I get to give glory to God. And we're called to serve one another. It's a command from God. 
It's not like you can be like, nope, that one I'm not going to do. That's called disobedience. God doesn't like that. He desires obedience over sacrifice. And so more than just like, hey, I'm going to come attend and leave, that might be considered sacrifice, but he wants your obedience in all areas. And so as Christians, we never get to separate ourselves from the church. It's not like, well, I'm going to church and now I just left church. It's like, nope, I, when I gave my life to Christ, I became a member of the church. And until I'm dead, I'm still a member of that church. I am a member of serving one another. I am the church. But it requires humility. It requires us to get out of our own self-focused life and start looking to other people, starting to care for one another, starting to love one another. Philippians 2, 3 through 7. Again, another command. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others better than yourselves or more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was born in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. How many times when we're driving down the road or we're walking along the sidewalk or whatever, are we looking, how can I serve somebody around me? So often, honestly, I'm, I'm driving down the road and it's like, whoo, this song, jamming out, listening to it. I got somewhere to be and I'm not looking anywhere else. Oh, they could use help. Nope, not me. I'm going because I crunched my time. I ran too late. I don't have time to help people. And it's like, wait a minute. We are called to serve, to help those who need help. We're told to comfort those who are in mourning, we mourn with those who mourn. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We step out. As Paul just said, don't look to your own interest. Boy, that's hard. So often it's like, boy, but I want this. But I want to eat a $40 meal instead of maybe helping somebody else out. Or I want to do whatever. It's always my interest. Me, 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 me. It's kind of like the birds off of uh, Madagascar. Is it the penguins? No, uh, so many people know this. And ne Nemo, mine, mine. Is that it? Is that the right one? Yeah. Thank you, people. Thank you. I'm glad you're paying attention. Sweet. Proof. That was a test just to see who's awake. So you guys passed. But anyways, you know, it's like that's what we walk through life like. Like mine, 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 mine. I think that was spot on, by the way. But anyways, but that's it's like, how does this appeal to me? How does it, we are so consumeristic. It's like, I want one day delivery. I want it as fast as I can get it. It's always instant stuff. And it's like, man, I got to go, 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 go. Always about me without looking to the interest of other people. And so I'll say it again. I said pride is the number one enemy of grace. I believe pride is also the number one enemy of serving other people. Because maybe it's in your head right now. Like, but why should I? Why should I help them? Why should I? Because your pride is getting in the way. It's trying to tell you, but I'm above that, or I don't have time, or I just don't want to. So we need to get rid of our pride. Because pride makes us think we are above something. 
It's like, what? Uh, honestly, the, uh, uh, number one excuse that I hear for maybe not helping somebody is, well, they did that to themselves. Yep. And I deserve death. I mean, if we're going to be honest, yeah. You know what I did to myself? I sent myself to eternal hell, but praise be to God that he stepped down and gave me eternal life. And if anybody is above serving, it is Jesus. I mean, if anybody is like, I shouldn't have to serve, Jesus is the very one, the only one who is above it. And yet he says, I'm going to serve others. Yes, Judas, you're going to betray me. Let me wash your feet still. Let me love you. Yes, you um, are sending me over to a horrible thing. I'm going to serve you. He did not consider himself above it, but instead he did it with joy. There was joy in his heart to serve other people. And yes, serving is difficult. It's hard because it's going to require you to sacrifice time. It's going to require you to sacrifice effort. Sometimes it requires you to sacrifice money. A lot of times, honestly, it comes with criticism. It's like, well, they didn't do that the way I wanted to. And it's like, well, I am done. I've been burned three times. No more. I'm not helping out. We're supposed to forgive them and continue serving Because we serve because Christ is that example. We serve out of the goodness of our heart. We serve not so that I can make myself look better or I can make anybody else look better. We serve for the glory of God. Colossians 3.23 says, Whether, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. So it's like, can you believe what they just said about me? And it's like, hey, I'm actually not doing this for them, but I'm doing it for God. And maybe they will see that because we're told that doing a good deed to an evil person is like heaping burning coals on them. It it just, it does something to them. So we serve for the glory of God. I listened to this church down in Texas and uh, they were doing like a a national day of service or uh, a church day of service out in their community. And as they were serving, they were like, hey, uh, some of the volunteers came up and were like, hey, can, can, can we like pay our volunteers, can we just give them a bunch of money? And, and the pastor was like, well, why would we do that? And they were like, so that like they, they feel appreciated and so they know that what they're doing is like a good thing and everything like that. And he said something that kind of just really shocked me, but it was like, man, yeah. And he said, why should we pay them when they get to serve for the glory of God? We are providing them that opportunity to serve God. What greater reward is there than that? Well, money, Andy. Well, maybe we're making money an idol. We're loving money a little too much. We should be loving God and serving him more than anything. So I just want to ask, what is your motivation for serving? Why do we serve? And maybe why, what is your motivation for not serving somebody? Is it because, well, I'm not going to get the recognition and the glory if I serve? So it's on both sides of that coin. Either I'm serving because it's all about me or I'm not serving because it's all about me and I'm not going to get any reward for helping out there. Or is it so that they owe you? It's like, hey, I'll, um, yes, I did a good deed. You owe me now and I'm going to hang that over your head forever. You owe me. Is it so that somebody owes us? Is it for the money? Is it like, hey, I'll help you out. Wait, you didn't pay me? You owe me now. Give me money. Are we doing it for that? Or is it to glorify God? 
And is that a reward in itself? So that God, when he welcomes you into eternal home, he says, well done, good and faithful, what? Servant. Somebody who serves. We serve God, but to serve God, we serve other people. Because that is what love does. Because Jesus later on in John chapter 13 says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He says, love one another just as I have loved you. Well, Jesus loved by serving Jesus loved by sacrificing so much that he gave his life. That's how much Jesus loved. And so that is how we are called to love. By dying to ourselves daily. Lifting Christ up and then seeking, how can I love other people? Christ is the perfect model of love that we are to follow. He gave his life for us. He demonstrated, this is how far love goes. Well, does it go until we're even? No. Does it go until I'm not mad at them? No. It goes all the way to sacrificing your life for them. Christ says, just as I have loved you, you also ought to love one another. And so what we need to do, though, is to lower our pride. Because again, pride is going to be like, but why should I? Paul tells us in, sec- in, in Philippians 2, going to read it again. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. But why should I do that? John chapter 13, verse, uh, it's in there. Verse something. He says, if then your Lord, verse 14, your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done. So why? Because Jesus did. And he is the example that we are called to follow. And it's like, but why? Because he gave his life for you. He wanted relationship with you so much that he gave his very life so that we could have eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. It's a gift. He gave it freely. And so we're going to close in prayer. And again, we're going to sing this song, and the song is twofold. It's one, to prepare us to remember the sacrifice that Christ made. Because we're going to take communion afterwards. But also... We want to give people an opportunity to respond. That if it's like, wait a minute, man, I have been living this prideful, self-centered, all about me life, but I want it to be about Christ, then we encourage you to come forward and we will talk with you, we'll pray with you, we'll walk you through whatever you need to walk alongside you, through whatever you need to be walked through. We are, I mean, that's the thing. We're here to serve you. We're here, here to love you. We're here to help draw you to Christ. But the thing is, I don't think it's just those that are at the front of the stage. I think there are so many people in here who are living that servant's heart, who would love to talk with you. I pray, because that's what we've been talking about. This whole new normal is about being the church, what God is calling us to be. 
But if you have a decision to make, if you need prayer, whatever it is, during this last song, come forward and we, no judgments cast, will point you to Jesus. If you'll stand, we'll pray and then we'll sing a song. Father God, we thank you for the example that you set. God, you are so justified in uh, just wiping us out, but yet God, you gave us grace You gave us mercy. You gave us grace. You took the judgment upon yourself by sending Jesus to die for us. And so God, I pray that if there be anybody in this room who is not living for you, who has not repented and given their life over to you, God, I pray that you work in their heart and just draw them to make an outward profession of who you are. God, just, I trust that you're working this morning. So just show us where we are living in pride and where we are not looking to the interests of other people and God help us in that. Again, transform us. Give us a new heart and a new mind so that we can be your people. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this.